Let's lift him up this morning. Yes, we shout out your praise. 
There's nothing I want that your love doesn't offer. Nothing I've done that your grace won't cover. It's not over till you say so. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. The cross is all the confidence I need. Your love won't give up on me. You never make a promise you don't keep. Your love won't give up on me. Calling me back to the place where I started. Lost my way, but I'm not forgotten. It's not.
awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made i see the stars i hear the rolling thunder that power throughout the universe display then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art then sings my soul my savior god to sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sins then sings my soul shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim my God how
Amen. What a great reminder. We serve a great God, don't we? And I don't know about you, but every time I sing that song and I think about that part where it talks about when Christ shall come and we shall be in his presence and what joy that will be, how that joy will just uh, flood our souls. And what a great time that is going to be. But, you know, we don't have to wait till the return of Christ to know the joy of God in our life. We can know his joy right here, and I hope that God's joy is just flooding your soul today, even in a crazy world. And Scripture tells us in uh, Psalms 116.11 that in his presence there is fullness of joy. In the presence of God there is fullness of joy. That means that there is complete joy. And our circumstances around us, that's not what determines our joy, even though our joy is, is a feeling, but our joy is much more than that. And I read something this week that's talking about joy, and it says that our joy is just the confidence of abiding in the vine and knowing that he is in control of our lives. And that brings great joy. Hopefully, you know the joy of the Lord today. Hopefully, the joy of the Lord is just overflowing, and we can forget about everything else that's going on. As we abide in him, we know that he has got us, and he is in control. We serve a great God. God, we thank you today for your love for us. We thank you for the joy that comes from knowing you. We thank you from, for the joy that comes uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you that while we were dead in our sins, that you sent your one and only son to die in our place so that through him we could have life. And in that life, in your presence here on this earth, there is fullness of joy. And God, we do look forward to that day when, when Christ shall come and we shall be taken out of this world and we will be with you in heaven for all of eternity. And we thank you for the great joy that we will have there, but we also thank you for the joy that can fill our hearts and fill our lives even today as we are abiding in you, in your presence. God, we thank you for your your love for us. We thank you for being a part of our lives and making that way possible again through your son, Jesus Christ. Now, God, I thank you that we have this time to worship together and to study your word together. And I pray right now you would just begin to open up our hearts and our mind to receive what you have for us through your word today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm glad that y'all are here today. It's always good to be able to come into God's house to share and worship together and to open God's word together. And I'm just going to jump right into it this morning. I have to tell you that what I want to share with you this morning might seem a little controversial, but it's timely. It's apropos. It's, it's, it's a good time to hit on this subject, but it's something that's been turning over in my heart for a few months now, and we're seeing it. I have many conversations with people over the past few months, and so I just felt like God was leading me to go ahead and just pull the trigger on it and, uh, and to talk today. So the title of the message is Liberty and Love. Liberty and love. It's Romans chapter 14. What I want to do is go ahead and read the passage of Scripture. Um, it's a long passage. I want to read that. I want to pray. And then I want to share with you what God has laid on my heart for this morning. So chapter 14, Romans um, 14, verse 1. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. 
Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day. When others think every day is alike, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble. I know and I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your conviction. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just humble ourselves before you today. And we, Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, our world and our country is in a, a mess right now. And a lot of people have questions. And some of those questions are so easily laid out for us or the answers to those questions in Scripture. And there's some that are not so easy to discern. And Lord, it's in those that we see division and we see anxiety and we see even some just anger and, and uh, just some ugly things coming as a result of it. So God, I pray that you would give us wisdom today. I pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we may discern what you may be saying to us um, in this message. Uh, Lord, not just that we gain knowledge, but that we act on what we learn and that we apply um, your scriptures today in the context of our families and our churches and our communities. And Father, I humble myself before you. I don't have it all figured out. Lord, I'm not the perfect guy to get up here and talk to everyone, but I'm the one that you've chosen as a vessel here at Living Water today, and I pray that you would just speak through me. Lord, and all of this is for your glory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin with us using our holy imagination. 
Imagine for a moment that we were to create a new community. I don't care where you live right now, but we're going to create a new one. And in this community, the only people that are going to live in it is everybody that's in this room right now. So get used to each other because you're about to be neighbors, right, in our imagination. So we create this new community, and all of us are living in this community. Now let's assume that all of us have placed our faith in Christ, so we're all Christians, we're all believers, so we're all on the same team. But we're living in this new community together. It's going to be sweet, right? A lot of harmony and peace, and everybody's enjoying each other, right? It's going to be just a cool community. Now, we can't control what goes on outside of our little community. It's crazy out there. But inside our community, it's a sweet little deal. Let's just imagine for a moment that we have this community uh, that we're all living together in. Now, let me ask you some questions. I want to ask you to raise your hand um, on these first three questions. Um, now, in the context of this community that we live in, How many of you think it would be okay for me to murder somebody? Anybody? All right, how many of you would agree that it's not good and I shouldn't murder, right? It's wrong. Okay, so let me ask you another question. How many of you would agree that it would be wrong? Let me just put it this way. How many of you think it's okay to steal? Raise your hand because I want to know who I'm living next to. I want to protect my stuff. Right, so uh, we we agree. that's That's not good, Shane. We can't do that. How many of you agree that it's wrong to steal? All right, we're neighbors living in the community, and we just, we just don't steal from one another. How many of you think it would be okay for me to take another man's wife as my own wife? Mm-mm, that's, that's going to get somebody in trouble, right? How many of you think it's wrong to commit what the Bible calls adultery, right? Okay, so those are black and white things. Those are pretty easy, right? Why do we answer the way we answer? Because Scripture is clear. We can go to Scripture, we can say, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill, Shane, um, I used to quote that to my dad when I was in trouble all the time. That's not, that's not kill. Don't kill me, Dad. We, we know that the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. We also know that the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. These are black and white issues. And so it's very clear. We all agree. We're going to be on the same page there, black and white. But what about the gray areas? What about the areas where people say, hey, what does the Bible say about? And then it's vague. Maybe there's a verse or two that's used out of context. Maybe there's a little allusion to it from time to time. But the scripture's not 100% clear on these areas. And so they're, they're called gray areas. And so imagine in our community that we live in, there's the black and the white, but now there's the gray. And so I'm going to change the style of question because I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable and feel like people are looking at you and judging because of the way you raise your hands. So how many of you would agree that there are differing opinions on smoking? It's okay to smoke. Some say, no, it's not okay to smoke. How many of you would agree there's difference there? How about this one? How many of you would agree that there are differing opinions on drinking alcohol? Boom. Grew up in that, right? It's wrong. No, it's not wrong. It's drunkenness, and there's all these verses, right? I can prove smoking's in the Bible because it says that Moses lit up on a camel. <laughs> Check me. It's there. Now, it may be talking about the hump of a cam. I don't know, but, I mean, I'm just saying that. So, um, the gray areas, right? So, we agree that there's differing opinions on smoking. There's differing opinions, convictions on drinking alcoholic beverages. How about this one? This is a scary one. <gasps> Tattoos. Oh, Shane, the Bible says don't mark yourself. Yeah, but it's talking about cutting. It was a a ritual that they would do for the dead as a pagan practice. It's not talking about tattoos. There's verses you can use going both ways, but it's a gray area. And so there are differing opinions, amen, on tattoos. And so we could go on and on and on. We were talking earlier about coffee. My son-in-law is a coffee hound. My daughter, I don't know if she's not drinking it right now, but they were having this this discussion about placing each other's convictions. And I said, well, the, the coffee's in the Bible too because it says he brews. Right? So, I mean, I'm, 
2-0 now, right? So anyways, there are differing things in the community of believers that we will, and they're black and white, and then there's the gray areas. Can we all agree so far? Okay, so here's what we need to know, that we're living in the context of community. We can't control what's outside of the context of the Christian faith and the, the community of believers, but we should be careful how we live together in community in the context of the church. There are going to be things that are just black and white. Now, I know that sometimes we try to bargain with God on things that we already know Scripture says is black and white, but we try to make them gray. Not talking about that. Scripture is clear. There are certain things that are just black and white. It's either wrong or it's right. And most of us raised our hands and we agreed on some of those things. But there are some times when we're going to have differing opinions on certain things. And here's the thing. You may have a conviction about something that I don't have a conviction about and vice versa. And let me just tell you right now, if you've sought the Lord in your decision, if you sought wise counsel and you've, you, you've tried to just say, God, what is right? What should I do? You've prayed about it and, and you've come to that conclusion. Here's what I trust. You're okay. And so am I. Amen? There are going to be some gray areas where we're going to differ. It's just this personal, individual liberty. Now, how many of you are grateful that we are free in Christ? I want you to think about that for just a second. Because before the gospel, we are all slaves to sin. The wages of sin is death. I mean, so we are, we are under the penalty of sin. We are uh, under the wrath of God. We are not in the presence of God because we can't come near him because he is holy. And so we are not a free people. We are in bondage to Satan. But through the gospel, those who've placed their faith in Christ, they're now free. And it is for freedom that we've been set free. We are free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the guilt of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin, the wrath of God. We are free now to enter into the presence of God. Are you grateful for our freedom today? Some of you, not, not so much, apparently. I mean, we're free people, and this is cool, right? But in addition to that freedom that comes from the gospel, there's also this individual freedom. And what I mean by that is each person has this conviction. And they may not share the same convictions. Even though you're a follower of Christ, you may not share the exact convictions. We call it liberty of conscience. That's where you have the freedom, individually, the freedom to say, this is my conviction, and I'm standing on that conviction. I'm just... I'm convicted about this. This is something I've prayed about, and I believe that for me it's wrong. And somebody over here says, hey, man, I've prayed about the same thing, and I've sought counsel, and I've read the scriptures, and for me, I don't have a conviction against it. How many know that's very common in church today? Okay, so when it comes to living in the context of community, I'm talking about the church community, our little neighborhood. When it comes to living in the context of that community, how do we balance our individual liberties and the greater command to love one another. What's the greatest command? To love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, as it, it's the number one in context with each other, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. So what do we do with the gray areas? This is something that the Apostle Paul is touching on in this passage, Romans chapter 14. Now, to get into context, it's written in A.D. 57, and so what he's talking about there would not even be on our radar today. Like, we're not talking about foods to eat or not eat, and we're not talking about days that are holy or not holy, and drinks and stuff like that. But we are talking, and we have differing opinions, and many people call Shane, what does the Bible say about and every time you go to scripture, like if God's word doesn't say something specifically about it, it's a gray area. And it leaves each one of us up to make that decision and that conviction to say, for me, this is where I stand on that. And it's okay. Do you know that that's a special thing? That nobody can control you? That you are free as an individual to say, it's my conviction. 
If I want to think that it's wrong for me to have coffee and everybody else can drink coffee, I'm free to do that. You're free to be wrong, in my opinion, because coffee is glorious, right? I'm, I'm only kidding, but, but the reality is you're free, and that freedom is a, is a blessing, and it's, it's precious to me. And I'm so grateful that we have been afforded over the years this individual liberty of conscience. In fact, it's scriptural, and it found its way into our founding fathers' documents. Let me just give you a little uh, rundown on this. Thomas Jefferson, um, in the Bill of Rights, or actually before that, in 1786, he, he writes, he drafts up the Virginia State of Religious Freedom document. Before our Constitution, before the Bill of Rights, it made its way there. But listen to what he says. Whereas... Almighty God hath created the mind free. We're not robots. We're free thinkers. We can use these little things up here called our heads. Amen? So he says, God has created the mind free that all attempts to influence it by temporal punishment or burdens or by civil incapacitations tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness. And are a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who, being Lord, both of body and mind, yet he chose not to propagate it, this gospel or this religion. He didn't propagate it by coercion on either, on the body or the mind, as was in his almighty power to do so. God is sovereign, and he could have made us all robots. He could have said, I command you to to trust me, and we're all involved in this religion. But he didn't even do that. And so Thomas Jefferson is saying, God's created us free, and he had the right to do so, but he didn't coerce us, right? We see this before um, the, the, the First Amendment. It finds its way in the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment or religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Do you know that it's in the Bill of Rights? The constitutional right as a citizen of the United States of America, the freedom of religion. We're free. It made its way in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Section or Title VII says this, when it comes to employers... The employer practices, it says, it shall be an unlawful employment practice for an employer to fail or refuse to hire or to discharge an individual or otherwise to discriminate against any individual with respect to his compensation, terms, conditions, or privileges of employment because of such individual's race, color, religion, sex, or national Origin. We see it throughout our country. It's made its way into the documents, and it's, it's our constitutional right. We are a free people. Now, listen, we live in a world system, as we've been talking about for weeks in First Peter. This world's not our home. And, and the God of this age, Satan, is the one that's in control. And so I can't guarantee that they will always afford us the exemption, if you will, based on our individual liberties to stay away from things that we don't feel like we want to be involved in. I mean, if, and let me just, here's the elephant in the room, mandate. Mandates, vaccinations. If Paul were here today, he probably wouldn't be talking to us about food, sacrifice to idols, or holy days. He'd probably say, people are coming to Paul. Paul, what do we need to do? And so if he were here today, he would be talking about this. And what we've always been afforded in our country is the right to say, hey, I'm a conscientious objector. My faith, my convictions won't allow me to do that. I need an exemption. And we've always been able to get that until recently. Have you noticed that? There's the threat. They're saying, hey, fill out your exemptions if it's a medical or if it's a a religious exemption. Fill it out. But then we're hearing words about where they're pushing it anyways. 
And here's what I know about that. We can't control what happens outside of the community, right? We can't control it. So we may be forced to quit a job that we love dearly. If we really, really believe in our conviction and say, this is my conviction and I'm willing to give it all up in order to stand on my convictions. Are you with me so far? So let me give you some quotes on conviction. Conviction is not merely an opinion. It is something rooted so deeply in the conscience that to change a conviction would be to change the very essence of who you are. And this conviction is a deep thing. It's like, man, this is just who I am. It's what I believe. And it goes deep. It's not changed uh, just on a, on a whim. Another quote says, never for the sake of peace and quiet deny your convictions. We stand on our convictions. Never do anything against conscience, even if the state demands it. Albert Einstein, James Madison, conscience is the most sacred of all property. And so we have this idea of liberty of conscience. It's a, a, a special thing. And as I said, through, throughout the history of the United States of America, we've had the freedom to say, hey, as a believer, this is against my convictions, so I can't do it. How many of you remember the movie Hacksaw Ridge? Right? Private Doss. Doss was a conscientious objector. He said, I, it's against my religion to carry a weapon, but I want to join the army. <laughs> what? But he said, it's against my, my conviction. I'm just convicted. Don't give me a gun. I want to serve as a, a medic. Now, he had to pay for it. I mean, they kind of bullied him and tried to coerce him, but he stood his ground in his convictions, and he was awarded that exemption to serve in the army and never carried a gun. As I said, we've been afforded that exemption for years, but I can't guarantee that it's always going to be that way. When tyranny is at all-time high, I mean, they may say, I don't care about your religious convictions. You're going to do it or else. Folks, I feel like that's where we're kind of becoming, we're, we're kind of getting towards. Does anybody else feel that? All right, so I'm not talking about that today. So take a deep sigh. Whew, all right, good. Yeah. Shane's about to go crazy. I could talk for two hours just on this subject. Pretty passionate about it. But here's my bigger concern and my bigger burden for today. I can't control the outside of the community, but in the context of our little neighborhood. Remember the first, the neighborhood that we all live in? We're all believers. We've placed our faith in Christ. There are black and white issues that we are like, hey, we know the Bible's clear here and the Bible's clear there. We're not talking about that. But in the context of the gray areas, the, the, the many different things that we could say, what does God's word say about and I'll just throw the mandate in there. People have said, Shane, what does God's word say about the mandate? There's nothing in there that says, thou shalt not, or thou shalt take a, a shot. It doesn't say that. So it's a gray area. And so in that context, here's my, my burden today, is how do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, with this great command to love one another, how do we balance that with our personal liberties? How do I, if I have a conviction that doesn't match your conviction, how do I continue to love you? And here's what I see happening, and it just breaks my heart, and it's, it's like a warning light going off in my head, is that we are being pushed, and I've heard of families that are being divided on the issue. Anybody heard that one? Hey, I've got people in my own family that are mad at me right now because of my stance. Yeah, I had a debate, I'm going to call it a debate, with my doctor the other day. And I was like, sorry, I disagree with you. I, I mean, all due respect. I disagree with you. We see division in our communities. We see division in schools. We see division in politics. We see division everywhere. And beyond that, we see, you know, the defund the police. And then they're like going, hey, we got a lot of crime. Well, duh, you defunded the police. Now you need them. But we see it all around us. And I can't control all that. But we can 
effectually control what happens inside the community of believers. Are you, are you with me? So as a community of faithful followers of Christ, I've placed my faith in Jesus. We're, the black and the white issues are settled. We're not questioning that. But in the area of the gray areas, how do I balance my personal liberties and my love for other people? As I said, this is where Paul is speaking on. And so just to give you a, a rundown on Romans, Romans chapters 1 through about 8 He's talking about how God reveals his sovereign plan of salvation for all mankind. In chapters 9 through 11, he starts talking about how that the Jews and the Gentiles both fit into God's plan of salvation. And then in chapter 12 through 16, he begins to exhort the believers, the church, to a life of harmony and righteous living. Okay, so in chapter 12, he says, now present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. In chapter 12, he says, um, don't think of yourselves more than what you should. That's to live in humility. And he says, we all belong to each other, right? We're in this community together. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Love each other with a genuine affection. Live in harmony with each other. Um, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Chapter 13, he talks about authority. and talks about how when we love our neighbor, it fulfills the command of Christ. In chapter 14, it's like Paul says, okay, let me talk about the gray areas for a minute. And just to give you some background, there were Jews and Gentiles that he's addressing here. And the Jews would have been new believers because they've been walking the Jewish law for years and all of a sudden, Jesus comes, he dies on the cross. I mean, the gospel is here, right? The gospel of, of God's grace. But they're struggling because their tradition has always told them there was one day and one day alone that was special to them. And they were also told that they stay away from certain foods. They had dietary laws that they had to follow, ceremonial laws that they had to follow. And all of a sudden, the Apostle Paul's saying, hey, man, we're into this grace, and there's no more holy days, I mean, specific, and there's no more restrictions on the dietary restrictions. And so if you pray and you give thanks to God, it's okay. But they're struggling with that. Their conviction says, yeah, but my whole life I was raised to think it was wrong, especially to eat food that was sacrificed to idols. And the reason I believe that's what he's talking about there is because he does address it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, food that was offered to idols. And so he's talking to Jewish people who for their whole lives believed one thing to be true and all of a sudden they're, they're kind of new believers in the gospel and it's no longer important but they're struggling with their old way of thinking. And on the other side, you have Gentiles who never cared about a special day, and they never worried about the foods that they ate, but they believe in the gospel, and so they're all in the same community. They all place their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there are differing opinions on certain things. And so he says, all right, how do we live in the context of community? I want to give you five guidelines that I believe that we can pull from this passage, five guidelines if we're going to live and balance with this personal liberties and love for one another. So number one, I would say, the first guideline would be to accept each other. Now, verse one, it says, accept other believers. Now, we're, we're not talking about outsiders. We're talking about those who've placed their faith in the gospel. And so because they've placed their faith in the gospel, they're on the same team. They're in the same family. And so he's saying, accept them, accept each other. Now, notice it doesn't qualify that statement as we try to do sometimes. I'll accept them if they dress like me, they talk like me, and they don't do the same things that I don't do, right? And they believe the same things that I believe, then I'll accept them. Listen to what he says. 
Except other believers who are weak in the faith. Remember, the Jewish would have been weak in the faith because they're having a hard time getting over the tradition. He says, and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. He said, accept them. They're believers. There's great diversity in the body of Christ. Amen? Aren't you glad that we're not all exactly the same? It would be messed up. I'm just telling you, it would be boring. But there's great diversity in the body of Christ. And so Paul says, hey, listen, we're living together in community, and we're trying to, to balance this thing of liberty and love, and so you need to accept other believers without any qualifications. For years, churches have done that. They said, you can be a part of this church if you'll give up this, 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 and this, if you'll dress this way, right? You know what? The, there's a word for that. You know what it is? Legalism. And I've experienced a few of those churches in my life. I've visited a few. I'm like, man, there's just so much bondage there. And it's not freedom. It's, it's like, you know, what if you'll do, we'll accept you if you do X, Y, and Z. Paul says, accept them and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Again, not the black and white stuff, but the gray areas, right? So accept them. And we are to accept other believers. You know what? You may different, be different than me. You may believe things differently than me. But I trust that the same Holy Spirit that lives in me is living in you. And I trust that he's going to lead you at some point um, to, to, to a right way of thinking for you and for me as well. But I need to accept you and love you. And you know what, church? I do. I love you. And there's some of you that are weird. <laughs> I'm just saying that. I'll make sure you're paying attention. But to accept other believers. Okay, number two, a guideline would be this. And this is an important one. Focus on you. And let God direct them. So focus on yourself and let God do his work in them. Notice what it says. It says, you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Again, he's talking about days here, but the ESV says each one, say each. Because that's individual, right? That's you, not them, that's you. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We should be fully convinced in our own mind. It means to be fully confident and certain of something. And that's going to take a lot of work just to do that, right? So we should focus on ourselves and let God direct them. He goes on at the end of that verse or that chapter to say, but if you have doubts about whether what you're doing is wrong and you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. And so I would say that we have plenty to do by focusing on our own lives and seeking God's direction in the gray areas, saying, God, is this something I should do? Is this something I shouldn't do? And to get wise counsel and to seek the scriptures, we should focus on ourselves and let God direct them. Again, the same spirit that lives in you lives in them, and God is much better at directing people's lives than we ever will be. Amen? We see this also. It's legalism. It's like, well, somebody comes to Christ and they're a new believer. I'm thankful for that, right? They're free. But they walked into church with a ball cap on. <gasps> I've, I've had that happen before. And some of my old timers go, get that hat off in the church. I'm like, be quiet. They're here, and I'm thankful for that. Let God work on them in his time. You focus on you. Let God do his work in them. I think it's so important, right? So accept other believers. Focus on you. Let God direct them. Thirdly, and this is an important one. Nobody here is guilty of this, I know. Um, but let God be the judge. <laughs> like, I want to make judgment. I want to make criticism. And say, you know what? I'm, I'm, you're under my scrutiny, and I'm watching you, and I don't agree with what you're doing here and there. And it's not the, the black and white stuff. It's the gray areas. And when we become judgmental there, and listen to what he says 
In verse 3, he says, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. You've got liberty, and you're like, man, I don't feel a conviction against this. You don't need to look down on those who don't feel the same way you do. And he says, and those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. He has welcomed them. They're in the same family. And so to bring it to today's terms, listen, I know many people who have said, hey, Shane, I just felt like it was the right thing to do, prayed about it, talked to my doctor, and I felt peace, and I went and got a vaccination. You know what my response is? That's your conviction. And you should be afforded that right to say, it's my personal conviction, it's what I want to do. But can I also say that there are many people on the other side that said, Shane, I've done my research, I've done a lot of praying, and I cannot bring myself to do that. I will not take the jab they also should be afforded the same right, liberty of conscience. Amen? And so what happens is we have coercion. We have, well, you don't really love people because you're, no, 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 that's not right. We all have this individual freedom. And if you say, hey, I feel absolutely okay that it's for me to take a shot, fine. You do you, right? I'm going to let God direct you. I'm worried about me, and I know where I stand in my convictions. And guess what? They don't align I'd say it's, you know, I don't know if it's 50-50, but there's a big percentage of people in the church on both sides of the aisle. And so we can make argument about why we're for or why we're against. And, and if you want to talk to me later, I could spend two hours bending your ear about what I've researched, but I won't do that today because that's not the focus. The focus is what do we do when we balance this individual liberty and love? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live in love with one another. And that's so much more important than whether you agree or disagree with me in the gray areas. Thank you, Rachel. Awesome. Love you. So awesome. <laughs> so let God be the judge. The word condemn is used six times. The word krino in the Greek, it means to evaluate, to form a critical opinion of something positive or negative by examination and scrutiny. You know what? We need to put down a magnifying glass. Quit scrutinizing everybody's decisions, especially in the gray areas where God has not spoken clearly it's not our role to judge. We're not qualified to do it. We'll, we'll butcher that up really bad. Amen? Now, in the areas of the black and white, just so people understand, there is a place to make judgment, righteous judgment. Some people say, the Bible says don't judge. No, not so fast. If we're all on the same team and the same family, and we, the Bible says that we spur one another on to good works, there is a time whenever a brother or sister is in one of those black and white areas where we in love say, hey, man, what you're doing is wrong, and I love you enough to say you need to come away from that. There is a season and a time for that, but we have to be careful. He says remove the beam from your own eye first so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you hear me? Amen? So we are careful when it comes to judging. So let God be the judge, especially in the gray areas. That's number three. Number four, I would say this, express your liberty wisely. So what Paul's saying here is, if you have a conviction that it's okay, be careful that you're not expressing that in a way that would offend or hurt or cause another brother to stumble in their faith. He says it like this, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another brother to stumble and fall. I mean, if I love you, I don't want to cause you to fall in your faith or stumble, right? Makes sense. So we shouldn't do anything that would cause another one to stumble. Verse 15, and if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. So don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. He's saying, hey, listen, if you're comfortable eating whatever in this context and your friend is really struggling with that, you're not showing them love if you're in front of them like, this is a good steak, man. No, pork, yeah, this is awesome. You should try it. 
That's not walking and showing love to your, your brother. And so we should express our personal liberty wisely. And so what that looks like for me today is if you're for or against, it doesn't mean that you're ridiculing or you're flaunting to somebody else that may not agree with you and tell them nine kinds of ways that they're wrong, right? Or telling them that you don't love people because you're not doing X, Y, and Z. We need to be careful how we express our liberty, our personal freedoms, this thing that God has blessed us with so as to not damage other followers of Christ whom he redeemed through the gospel. We're all on the same team. Amen? Lastly, I would say, and this is a very important one, especially in our day and age, so we accept other believers, we focus on us and let God direct them, let God be the judge, express our liberty wisely, and then lastly, pursue unity with a sense of urgency. Pursue unity with a sense of urgency. He says in verse 19, so then let us aim for, uh, the word there in the Greek is to pursue, to chase after or to hunt for something. He says, let us aim for harmony, unity, in the church and try to build each other up. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, praising God and glory to God, giving praise and glory to God, excuse me, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do I say with a sense of urgency, pursue unity? Scripture tells us in Psalms that how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Unity is precious to God. And you know who hates unity? Satan. And we've seen him working overtime in the department of destroying unity. John 10.10 says the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What's he destroying? He's destroying unity. He's causing division even in families. And so I would say that we need to do our best, due diligence to protect that unity at all costs with a sense of urgency because I think time is coming to an end and Satan is working overtime and we as a church need to protect that little community of faith in this context and say, you know what, we may disagree on the gray areas, but I love you and my love for you is greater than our differences. Amen, church. So Satan wants to divide and conquer, but we are free in Christ And we each have this personal freedom. And so I would simply say this, use it wisely. I'm not saying that we don't get to make our own decision. I would say this, please pray about those gray areas. When you come to a crossroads, you say, what does God's word say? And it's vague. Say, all right, God, it's not specific here, so I need you to direct me. And what does he say? He will direct your paths. You seek him. He'll show you which way to go. And so we trust that his spirit that lives in us will guide us in the way of truth. And so we go to him in prayer. God, would you please direct me in this decision that I need to make? I want you to direct my life. I want you to direct these gray areas for me. So we pray. We seek out the scriptures, what we can find. Be careful not to take it out of context. We seek wise counsel. There are many people who've got a lot of wisdom, and we go to them and say, hey, this is something I'm wrestling with, and I'm trying to nail it down in my life, and I just need some counsel, some wisdom, some feedback. And I would say, please, do that. Once you've done that, in this area of a grave, great area, once you've done that, stand in that conviction and say, this is my conviction, this is my personal liberty, and it's okay. But in the context of the family of Christ, our love for one another should 
be greater than our differences for one another. Do, do you hear me, my heart this morning? Church, I, I'm convinced of this, that Satan would love nothing more than to cause division. He's already doing it in the government. He's already doing it in the families. And he would love nothing more than to come after the church. Do you know in Nazi Germany, there were people, they were turning their own loved ones in because they weren't complying with certain things. Church, I believe that we need unity like never before in the church. And I think God blesses. I know God blesses unity. I've said before, I'd rather have a small church unified than a huge church with division. Because God blesses unity. Amen? So pursue that unity with a sense of urgency because we have an enemy. So here's a motto for us to live by. When it comes to the gray areas, well, I'll just say this. In the essentials, unity. The black and white, right? In the essentials, we're unified. In the non-essentials, the gray areas, liberty. We each have the freedom, liberty of conscience. In all things, charity. Charity is love. Love is the main thing. Amen? So listen, let me just say this as we close. Um, I don't know where you're at right now. I know some people have family issues and some people have work and they're, they're stressed out. And let me, I'm not going to tell you exactly where I stand. Some of you I think probably know. Um, and and I've got to be careful that I don't just go down that road. But we all have that, that freedom there. But I will say this, about three months ago when all this stuff started coming up, God put a conviction on me. I reached out to other pastors and said, hey, what are we doing with this? And some of their attitudes were, well, Scripture doesn't say about it anything about it, so I'm just going to ignore it. I'm like, we can't do that because we have loved ones that are genuinely wanting to know what we need to do or not do. And so I sat down and wrote a little letter, the best I can, a letter uh, proclaiming that that liberty of conscience and how that's always been afforded to us in the past. And so if you're at a place of business that's saying, hey, you have so many days to get a, an exemption, medical or religious, um, and after that, if you don't do it, you're fired, um, and, and you need some help with that, uh, maybe a letter or whatever, holler at me. I'd be happy to give you a copy of that. It may not work. And I hope it does. I hope that they afford that to us like they've done throughout centuries. But if they don't do it, then that's where it comes back to us and we have to trust God. It's like, is this conviction strong enough to where I'm willing to walk away from something that I love so dearly. And some people said, I've had jobs that I've worked my whole life to get to. I absolutely love my job. And now it's being threatened because of this mandate. And so I would say, if, you, if you're there and you get a religious exemption and you do it, and I would say, do that, do all that you can, and then pray on it and trust God with the results. And I don't know what it's going to turn out like. I think that it's probably going to get even more. They're going to tighten the scruples even more. And so when they can't get you to do it by asking you, then they try to demand it. When they can't demand it, they coerce and I don't know what it's going to look like, but here's what I know. We're in this together. Amen? And we need each other. And so when it comes to our liberties, our individual personal liberty of conscience and love, we need to balance that. Because there's a lot at stake and that harmony, that unity is so precious to God. And we need to make sure that we are walking that same road together. Amen? All right, so... If you want to visit after service, you have some questions or any prayer or whatever, I would encourage you always. Invitation's always open. Uh, but let me close um, in prayer this morning. Father, we trust you. We know that you're in control. Lord, we see things going on around us, and it's like we're thinking, man, this thing is spinning crazy out of control. But God, at the end of it, we know that you are sovereign. You're in control. You're faithful. Uh, it doesn't catch you by surprise. You've called us to walk by faith and not by sight. And some of this is being challenged right now in, in real time for some people. 
And Lord, I see the division that's happening in families, and I see the potential division even in a church. And my heart, Father, is just that we would, we would see that image of this community that we all live together in, that we're all on the same page when the black and white stuff on the essentials, there's complete unity. But on the non-essentials, the gray areas, Lord, that we wouldn't jump into the bar ditch like the world is and start pointing the finger and accusing and manipulating or guilting other people that don't agree the way we agree. They don't see things the same way. So, Lord, would you please help us to be very aware of our call to love other people our call to protect unity, to live in harmony and at peace with one another. Father, help us to just pass up the temptation to try to put our convictions on other people. And Lord, at the end of it, we trust you with the results. We know that Satan is very smart and sly when it comes to uh, this division thing, and we see him at work in overtime right now. Lord, let us not be um, a casualty of his schemes. Let us not also be a party to his, his schemes. Don't let him use any one of us to cause a wedge of division in the body of Christ. Father, we love you and we trust you and we put all of these things into your loving care. Um, we ask that you would just show us your favor, Lord, and your wisdom and your protection. And we ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen.